Well, good morning, church. As Jeff mentioned, we are taking a break from our study in the book of John and going through our summer of Psalms. And to date, over the last several years, we have preached 28 out of 150 Psalms. So we have 122 to go. After today, we will have 121. No, it's a, I think it's a great study. And uh, so we'll be looking at Psalm 86, if you would turn there. If you're new with us or you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 494. And just to give you a little background, this is a Psalm of David. And if you don't know this, the, the book of Psalms is actually broken down in, into five different books. There's five different books, and this is actually in the third book. And this is the only Psalm of David in the third book. And I think it's interesting because uh, we know that David wrote so many of the Psalms. And, and what we see in this Psalm, in, in Psalm 86, we see that it is a, a prayer of David. And it's David's uh, heart being poured out to a God that, that he knows and that he loves, and he knows that this God loves him. And, and so I want to take a little bit of a different tack today. I want to obviously preach through it. But I want us to learn. I want us to learn to pray. I want us uh, to use this psalm that, that is a prayer of David so that we might know how to pray better. And so if you would read with me Psalm 86, uh, verses 1 through 17. This is the Word of God. A prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly, Savior, servant, who trusts in you, you are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give, you th I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, we hear the words of David in this psalm and we recognize that he is a, a man who is in, in a difficult situation. And Lord, while this psalm is, is not the most poetic of psalms, it is a, a psalm that has 
your name written on it. What is it? It is a prayer of David to you. And God, I pray that as we look at this psalm, Lord, that we would learn to love you and honor you and pray to you, and that we would pray in a way that brings you glory and honor, or that our prayers would be driven to a, a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. For that's what this psalm tells us who you are. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We pray that you would write it on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that praying can be difficult? Anybody here know that, that praying can be, be difficult? There are, are distractions. There's a, a lack of consistency that we have. Sadly, there's apathy and there's lethargy. We don't know what to pray and we don't know how to pray. And you know, we're often looking for something to, to help us to pray. And, and I think one of the ways we can do that is by looking at, at the Psalms. And one of the ways that, that has helped me, and, I, and I've used this uh, often in my life, is, is an acronym. It's the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. And I've used that. It, 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 it speaks of adoration and, and confession and thanksgiving and, and supplication because prayer is not just about asking God for things. Prayer is, is glorifying Him. It's, it's speaking to Him. It's acknowledging who He is because when we acknowledge who God is, what He does is it strengthens us to, to, to reach Him and, and to, to plead with Him according to His purposes and, and His goodness and His, His glory. And one of the things that's often helpful to me is, is, is praying through, through the Psalms and learning. And, and there's a book that that I've looked at before, and it's uh, the Psalms, a, a, a primer for prayer. And it's, it's a book that just simply has all the Psalms listed, and then it shows how you might pray these Psalms. And, and we might think that when, when we borrow from the Psalms to pray, or, or we borrow from Scripture to pray, that it's somewhat inauthentic. Oh, I don't want to pray that. That's not, that's not authentic, or it's, it's unoriginal, borrowing from someone else's prayer. And but one of the interesting things about Psalm 86 is that David, David is borrowing. He's borrowing from Scripture all over the place, and he's play, taking all these Scriptures, and he's placing them in Psalm 86 to help us understand who God is and to help him understand who God is and to approach him. And so Psalm 86, in a sense, is, is not really a, a, an original psalm in and of itself. It's, it's, it's borrowed from these different things. It's, one pastor said it's, it's like a, a mosaic, pieced together verses and phrases from other psalms and scriptures. And I want to say this, that, that we don't necessarily need originality in our prayers. Sometimes originality is lacking. <laughs> We can learn from each other. We can, we can learn from the Psalms and because they are prayers and they're, they're put in the Word of God. And so we can, we can look at these. And, but originality from the heart is important. When we, when we take a Psalm and, and we, we, we incorporate it into our own life and we, we see God for who He is. And one, one of the most amazing things that, that has happened throughout my life is that when I'm going through something difficult and I, and I read a psalm and, and I connect that psalm with what I'm going through, God does an amazing work. I remember years ago, this is 
Probably some 27, 28 years ago, I was in a really difficult place, and, and I knew that I, I might lose my job. And I was, I was there, and I was in my office, and, and I had my Bible there, and I, I started to read Psalms. And, and you know, at that time, I didn't I'll go, I'm going to read this Psalm. No, I just, I read Psalm 25, and, and to this day, Psalm 25 has a dear place in my heart. And it says this, it says, Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Now, in that place where I was, was a dark place, and it was a hard place, and, and I knew that I, I needed God, and, and He gave me that psalm for that time, and, and I read it, and as I read it, you know, tears were just running down my face, because I was, were taking those words of the psalmist, unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's what I was doing. Unto, unto you, O, Lord, o God, in you I, I trust, and, and they were real, and the, and so God used us. And I remember calling my, my wife on the phone and, and, and talking to her about this. And, you know, I, I read the whole psalm. I'd like to read the whole psalm, but we're doing Psalm 86. I actually did it a couple years ago, Psalm 25. But no, it, this, the Word of God does that. It, it encourages us. You know, the, the Bible says that the Spirit helps in our weakness. You know, we have... He's given us the Word of God, and as we appropriate His Word, we're accompanied by a, a sincere heart. Hebrews 10.22 says that we can draw near to God and find mercy and grace, and grace in our time of need. And just as David prayed and learned and borrowed from these other psalms and other scriptures, we can do the same as we look at Psalm 86. We can, we can learn something about prayer. And first, our first point in your notes is, our prayer should reflect our great need. Sadly, we don't think that we have great needs, do we? How many have realized that when you have great need, you pray? <laughs> don't you? But when we lack prayer, what's it saying? That we, we, don't have, we don't have a great need. We see this so clear in, in David, in David's Psalm, of, Psalm 86 and verse 1. He says this, he says, Incline your ear, O Lord. What are you saying? Hear me. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you something. Hear me and answer me. Why? Because I am poor and needy. Now, David is basically coming with arguments to God. God, these are the things I'm going to. Therefore, please listen to me. And we can come to God in that way. and so We can say, God, these are real things in my life. And God, I'm going through this. And I'm going to, and I'm going to come before you as a, as a poor and needy person. In, in verse seven, he says, "In the day of trouble, I call upon the Lord." David recognizes his weakness. In verse fourteen, he says, "Insolent men have 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 risen up against me." And we see throughout this this psalm that he's he's calling out to God for his grace. You know, it sounds obvious to say that that we have great needs, and these needs should drive us to prayer. But as I said, we don't, we don't really pray as we ought because uh, our pride blinds us from the truth about our needs. We think that we have it all together. We, we think that you know, things are just going so easy. And what we do is we rely on ourselves, and we rely on other people, and we rely on other methods, and we get into trouble, and we start trying to figure out all these things and finally, when nothing else has worked, then we finally call out to God. 
as a last resort. John Bunyan said this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Now, John Bunyan knew that prayer should be our, our first resort. And we don't realize that, that we are poor and needy every day and in every circumstance. Remember what Jesus says? He says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. One thing that we do is we neglect God's word. We don't realize that it's important for every day. But Jesus also says that he is the vine and we are the branches, and apart from, from him, we can do nothing. He says, abide in me. We can do nothing apart from him. And so we need to be abiding in Christ. We need to take our lives. You know, we often wonder why, why the world is not being transformed because I think the biggest reason is we're not abiding. It's not about us performing things and doing things. Yes, I think that's an outcome of us abiding. But we lack strength and we lack purpose and we lack joy in serving God because we're, we're not abiding in Christ. So we have this blindness, and you know, day after day, we're praying very, very little. And because of our blindness and because of our lack of prayer, we don't see God moving. You know, we see Him moving very, very little. It doesn't mean that He's not moving, but we're not connecting our prayers to what He's doing. You know, this blindness is also a reason that unbelievers, that unbelievers don't cry out to God for, and ask Him to forgive their sins. No, they're blinded to the, the truth of their sins, and they see themselves as, as basically good. You know, when I witness to people and share the gospel at, at work, this is inevitably the, the thing that they say, right? I'm, I'm a good person, and, and God is gracious. I'm a good person, and God is gracious. I, you know, I'm not one of those evil sinners. And what they do is they compare themselves to, to, to other human beings rather than to the holy God. They, they, they compare themselves to who? Hitler. <laughs> I'm not as bad as he is. Or I'm not as bad as this mass murderer. I'm, I'm basically a good person. No, they don't, they don't recognize their, their great need. But another thing that we as as Christians often fail to see, is that, that we are in a spiritual battle. And we, we read, I mean, we sang earlier, a mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther wrote that. It's an old hymn, but its truths are, are so important for us that we don't realize that we have an enemy. You know, Ephesians 5 says that we, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and heavenly places. You know, Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8 that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to, someone to devour. We know that Galatians talks about our, our indwelling sin that, that fights against us. And we don't really take it seriously. We don't realize that the, the war that is being waged either from inside our hearts or outside from the enemy is a real war and that we need God's strength to fight that battle. And we need his strength to fight that battle. And we find that strength to fight that battle as we pray. 
And so we're blind and we don't pray. And so perhaps I think our prayer should be what? Show us. God, show me where I fall short. Show me how to pray. Teach me your ways. I mean, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. No, let me, let me seek you. And God, you show me. You, you put the magnifying glass on, on me. Often what we're doing is we're putting the magnifying glass on somebody else, aren't we? Where they fall short. Look at that person. Look at that Christian. Look what that person's doing. Look what they're doing. No, God, you show me any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so I knew that when I was reading in my office, Psalm 25, and the chances of my job hung or losing my job hung over my head, I knew that there was no place to turn. I was, I was poor and I was needy. And I called out to him and he answered and our prayer should be, God, I'm in great need. I'm in great need every day, no matter what we're going through. Secondly, though, our, our prayer should, be a ref, uh, should reflect God's unchanging character. You know, like I said, we often get to the things of asking God for things. But one of the, the greatest things is we're learning to pray. And as we're praying, that's helpful to us is to remind ourselves of who God is. Because when we understand who God is, we understand that He is the only true God that can answer prayer. You know, this psalm shows that David knew the God of whom he was praying. He, he knew His attributes. He knew His, his character. He knew that he was merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And in this prayer, David basically sets God, God and his character against all of his enemies. God, you are this and they are this, and I can trust you. One of the things that you don't really, say, you don't really see in this, in this psalm is that there's a chiastic structure to the psalm, and if you don't know what that is, it's... It's basically a literary device that, that the psalm flows from one thought to the next thought to the next thought to the next thought, focusing on this main thought, and then it flows backwards through those same previous thoughts to the end. I mean, you see that in verse 2, he says what? That, that he is a servant. And we also see that at the end, working, working back from the end in verse 16. We see in, in verse 5 that that he's abounding in, in steadfast love. We also see that working back in, in verse 15. And you see in verse 7, you see that he is faced with trouble. And we see that same thing in verse 14 when his enemies have gathered around me. So the, you have this, this structure. But the center point of that, that this psalm is really 8 through 11. This is what, this is what David wants us to focus on. We see this, that He is only true God, and there is, there is none like Him. Verse 8 says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, 
O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I mean, that's the, the focal point of the psalm. David wants our, our prayers to, to be focused on God because he is the one that can answer our prayers. And he does things and he shows himself in the psalm to, that he's wonderful and that he answers prayer and that eventually he's going to cause the nations to come and worship before him. That's a, a huge thing that David is hoping on. But that hope that David has is based on the promise that, that God has made that, that all, through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And I want you to notice in Psalm 86 that there are a number of, of words used to address God. One is the word just God, and that's the word in Hebrew, Elohim, and we've heard that. But there's also two words for Lord. And if you're looking in your Bibles, you'll see uh, there's a, a, one word with, with, which is all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that's, that's the, the name Yahweh. And it's the the personal and the, and the covenant name of God. And you see this in, in verses 1 and, and verse 6 and verse 11 and verse 17. But there's another word for Lord, and then you'll see it, it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And in Hebrew, that's, that's the word Adonai. It's the, a word that emphasizes his lordship and, and his sovereignty. And we see this seven times throughout the psalm. And he made the nations. He has ordained that they will come and, and worship before him. He is great and does wondrous deeds. He is, he is Lord and he is sovereign. And when we, when we think about him as being the sovereign and we're going through trials, which either we are going through right now or we will go through at some time, we can reach out to him as the sovereign Lord who is over all these things and we can, we can trust him. No, and what David is doing, he, he's contrasting the Lord of all, all the gods of all the other nations. And he says in verse 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. And we know that there's no other gods, but we know in Scripture that there's idols and there's false gods and there's demons that, that are behind idols. And David is saying, There's none like you. There's none like you, Lord. And notice that he's not just the Lord of Israel. He says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. I, I, just think about David, though. It, it took a, probably a, a lot of faith for David to say that. You know, David is a, a king of this little, tiny nation. And he's saying, all the nations, all the nations of the world are, shall come and they shall worship before you. And David knew. David knew the promises, and that's one of the things that we have to pray is we have to pray the, the promises of God. God had, had promised to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. And David stands on that promise. And that's what we need to do. We need to stand on, on those promises. You now, God's gracious plan to redeem people for himself from, from every tongue and tribe and nation. And David's prayer reflects God's unchanging character and trusting his promises. He says, God, you, you know, you're powerful, you're sovereign. And, that, and that does, what that does is it encourages us to pray. God, I know in the midst of this, whatever I'm going through, I can pray because I know you're sovereign and you've allowed this to happen in my life. 
and you're doing it ultimately for my good and ultimately for your glory, and I can trust you. And our prayer should reflect, reflect this. Our prayer should reflect the power of God to act on our behalf and because we serve an omnipotent, sovereign God who loves his people. And we see this as he calls people, and we think about this, that we are an answer to this prayer right here. We are an answer that God is, is calling people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And doesn't that give us hope that he's going to continue to do that? No, and then we see he's the only true God. He's not just the only true God, and there's none like him. He's the only true God abounding in steadfast love to all that call upon him. And these really are, are tied together, aren't they? That, that he is saving people by them calling on him. Now, both, for, both uh, verse 5 and, and verse 15, David is quoting Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, where God had revealed himself to Moses. And here's what he says in, in Exodus 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, or, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will not by no means clear the guilty. See, notice this is, this is what God says about himself. This is what God says. This is not what we say about God. This is what God is, is declaring about himself. You know, people will say God is gracious. But God says, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is, this is the most quoted passage in the rest of the Bible. Why is that? Because declaring God's goodness and graciousness as He declares it is, is so important. And we see it in, in Numbers 14 or Nehemiah chapter 9 or Psalm 103 or Psalm 145 or Psalm 86 or Joel chapter 2 or Jonah chapter 4. And, and we think of this as, as like I said, the this is the pinnacle of, of this psalm, but I like what one pastor, Sam Alberry, said. He said, this is the banner hanging over everything else God shows us about himself. We see it reiterated time and time again throughout the, the Old Testament. Many things are true about God. All of them are glorious, yet not all of them are fundamental, but this is. This is fundamental. For you, O Lord, are, are good and, and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And notice that in verse 5, that there's a condition, isn't there? And it's that, to all who call upon you. You know, so many people will say, you know, oh, I believe God is gracious. Is God gracious? Yes. He's gracious to all who call upon him. And people will say, you know, oh yeah, God is gracious, but I'm not going to call on him. And I, I, you get this picture and, of somebody out in the middle of the ocean and they're, and they're treading water and, you know, they see somebody coming to save them and they say, I believe that this person is gracious and they're going to save me. And they reach out their hands and say, well, I believe you're gracious, but I'm not going to reach my hand back. I'm not going to accept the way you're gracious. 
I want you to accept what I believe about graciousness, which is idolatry. It's, it's making God in, in our own image. Now, God has declared that He is gracious to all who call upon Him. And we know that the Apostle Paul, he, he expands on this very thing in, in Romans chapter 10. He says, in Romans chapter 10, 10 verse 9 through 13, he says, if you confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God's goodness and, and, and forgiveness and abounding steadfast love will be on you. That's, that's what he means. You will be saved. He goes on, he says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For, script, for the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." I mean, that is an amazing truth that God saves sinners like you and me. But it also means that there's something that we, we, we do. God, God causes us to be born again to a living hope, and, and we, we accept Him, and we put our faith and trust in Him, and we call on His name. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, call on His name. His grace, He's a compassionate, wonderful God who's ready to forgive. But there's also a, a continued blessing if, if you are a Christian, because how many of us have failed this week? <laughs> and He's gracious and compassionate. <laughs> Isn't that great news? He's gracious and compassionate. You know, and He invites us to come for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Notice what David says in, in verse 2. He, he calls out to God, preserve my life, preserve my life, and then he says this, for I am godly. I think sometimes we look at that, we go, I could never say I'm godly. I could never say I'm holy. How many of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ are godly? How many of us are holy? All of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ. In one sense, right? We know that we need to pursue holiness, but these words, this godly, this holy, they, they mean that we're set apart. This word godly comes from the Hebrew word hesed, which is where we get the word loving kindness and, or God's covenantal love. This is, this is a covenant between God and us. And so God has, has saved us and He's he set us apart for His glory. So what David is saying is, you know, God, I, I come before you in this, in this relationship I have, and, and I know that I, because of what you've done, that you have redeemed me, that I, that I hunger and I, I thirst for righteousness. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, does it? But we do, we hunger, and we sang that earlier, we, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Now, David's not being self-righteous, but he's, he's simply stating a fact that he is committed to the Lord. We can say that, I'm committed, and we should pray that, God, I am committed to you. You know, it's his steadfast love that, that David recites in, the, in his prayer, and it's about the Lord's character. And what that does is it motivates us to come and, 
and to bring him all of our needs, whether they're great or small. And maybe you feel like, you know, God doesn't have time for me. God has all the time. Time is nothing to God. No. If you sin, he's ready to forgive. And if you feel that you don't deserve it, guess what? You don't. <laughs> That's what grace is. It's his grace and it's his mercy. And so we come, we come undeserving and he's abundant and and loving kindness to all who call upon him. And our, so our prayer is, God, I stand and I stand on, our, on your character and your promises, for you are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So our prayer should reflect our great need. Our, our prayer should reflect God's unchanging character. But thirdly, our prayer should reflect our, our complete dependence on him. And we're going to move through these pretty quickly. But David has a... a a close relationship with God that, that really permeates his entire life of it. But this prayer, and, and God knew him intimately, and, but David knew, and he knew God in such a way that he, he felt free to pour out his heart. And this, this really stems from an awareness of his great need. And he knows, David knows that if he doesn't, if God doesn't answer this, that he's without hope. He knows he needs God's help. You know, he's coming to God with uh, complete dependence. And David wasn't just mumbling through some formal liturgy that was there. I'm reciting these prayers. Yes, he, he, had, he had chosen these things from other parts of Scripture, but they were true to him and, and true, truly things that were on his heart. It wasn't just using a list, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use lists. Lists are good for us to, to memorize, but, but our, our heart needs to be focused on God. And, you know, I it reminded me of, of people who you see that are asking for money on a street corner. There are those who you see, and, and they, they clearly have some maybe mental problem or, or some physical problem. Or, and and, and what, you, what happens is you, I mean, I, I know when I see them, I, I, there's a compassion that I have. I, I, I wish I could help. I wish I could do something. I wish I could change things for them. But then there are others. There are others who you see them out on the street corner and they're perfectly healthy and able and they're well-dressed. And specifically, I, I think about a, somebody who lives in a neighborhood near me that I see him come out of his nice house and I see him walk to the corner and I see him stand on the corner and I see him asking for money and, and I, I'm suspect but David is like the first one, isn't he? David is like the one who, who knows that his, he has a really poor condition. He knows that he's weak and frail. And he comes before the Lord asking, he says, I, I need you. And he knows that he has a, a complete dependence on him. And that leads him to pray. And it leads us to pray that we should pray continually. We should pray continually. David says in verse 3, he says, For unto you I, I cry all day long. For unto you I cry all day long. It's, again, his continual prayers are driven by his great need. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we should pray without ceasing. And he doesn't mean that we should necessarily pray nonstop, which, you know, in some ways is impossible, but rather 
The word has this idea of keep coming back to prayer over and over again throughout the day. We should be praying continually. Secondly, we should, we should pray thankfully. We see this in verse 12. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. That's because David has a complete dependence on God, and he knows that, that no matter what he's going through, this trial that he's going through, he can give thanks because he knows God's purposes are good and pleasing and perfect, and he can trust him. And similarly, right after praying, after Paul telling us to pray without ceasing, he, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we can only give thanks if we, if we truly believe that, that God is sovereign, that he's loving and compassionate, that he's wise, and that he knows what he's doing. You know, we can be thankful because we know God knows what he's doing. So we pray continually. We pray, we pray thankfully. We should also pray with humility. David's prayer is filled with humility. He doesn't demand from God. He doesn't say, God, you, I deserve this. God, don't you know that I am one of your children? God, don't you know that I'm the king and I deserve these things? No, he doesn't complain. Look, I've, I've served you all these years and, and now this is what I get? No. No, he just comes in, in humility. Verse 1 says that he is poor and needy. Verse 2, verse 4, and verse 16, he refers to himself as, as God's servant. Verse 3, he prays for God to be gracious to him. Verse 16, he admits that he is weak by asking God to grant him, to grant him strength. Don't we need that? God, grant me strength. Now, this is so opposite of our, our leaders today. Our leaders today rarely admit that they were wrong. They rarely admit that they need any help whatsoever. And even if they're Christians, they, they may pray when they're by themselves and, and with the Lord. But David bears it all as the king. He bears it all before his people. Look, this is who I am. But what a testimony to his people. Look at our king. Our king can pray this way. I can pray this way. Now, David humbly acknowledges his weakness and his need for, for God's strength. And even so, Prayer is not asking God just to, to give us a, a little boost forward or a little help. No, it's acknowledging our, our complete dependence on Him. James chapter 4, verse 6 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we, we come to Him continually, thankfully, and humbly. And lastly, we, in this section, we should, we should pray believing. David believed God. David says in verse 2 that he trusts in God because he's seen God move. And he declares in verse 7 that he knows that, that God will answer him. He says in verse 13 that, that God has delivered his soul from the, the depths of Sheol. And what David's doing is he's, he's referring back to everything that he has seen God do. And so many times when we go through a trial and, and we lose heart or we become anxious, we're not looking back at God's faithfulness. But we need to we need to look back at, at God's faithfulness and we need to remind ourselves that, that we need to pray believing because God is good and He answers. No, so we should pray because we have great needs. We should pray because we have a, a, a great God who, who loves us and, 
and has compassion on us. And we should pray continually and thankfully in humility and believing that God is, is going to answer those prayers. Which brings us to our last point. The things we ask for, our prayer should reflect God's purposes. It should reflect God's purposes. And what I mean by this is you can't go wrong praying God's perfect will. You can't go wrong praying what God has declared in His Word. Because if He's declared in His Word, this is something that, that He wants to do. Now, what is God's will for us? Well, first and foremost, we should pray for salvation. We should pray for salvation. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, then that should be your, your first prayer. You should pray for, for salvation. But if you're a Christian, then you should be praying for the salvation of the lost. David here, he, he asked God to save him, and clearly that's the, the trials that he's going through. But in our context, we know that we need God. We need God to save us. But we also know that he needs, we, need, he, we want him to save others. Jesus says this, and he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's God's will. And so we should be praying for people to come to know the Lord. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is God's will, and we should pray that God save this person. Now, he didn't come to save decent people. I think Pastor Kevin said this earlier. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. Pray that God would open up their hearts to the truth of, of the gospel. But another thing is we should pray for joy. You ever notice that often Christians lack joy? David asked in verse 4, maybe even David lacked joy at times. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, gladden the soul of your servant. I think he's God, give me joy. You know, I'm going through this trial, and I'm, I'm not having it. I'm not having joy, and I'm struggling through this. I don't see your purposes, and I'm lacking confidence, but grant me joy that I can go through this trial. We should pray for joy, and God wants us to be joyful. Paul will say in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We need to remember that, that God is our satisfaction. We sang earlier, cling to Christ. And this, one, this one line in that song says, all, this treasures of, all the treasures of this world can never satisfy. You alone are endless joy. So I cling to Christ. See, a lot of times when we're lacking joy, we're, we're looking for other things to, to fill that void and, and to satisfy us. But God wants us to be satisfied in Him. Psalm 43 verse 4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God. What, what he's saying, I will go to the altar, altar of God. I will pray, I will seek Him. To God, my exceeding joy. God is your joy. John Piper I had to go to John Piper's website when I was writing this because John Piper is, is the, the, the pastor of joy. And he says this, when we pray, 
We are pursuing a fuller joy, a deeper pleasure, a more abundant life in God. We want to glorify Him all the more in all we do, so we ask Him to satisfy us all the more with Himself. We pray to see more of His glory, to experience more of His strength and help, to feel more joy in God. Prayer is an especially vital and precious means God has provided to us to pursue our joy in Him. If you're lacking joy, if you're lacking joy, my, my question is, are you spending time with Him? Are you seeking Him on, on, on your terms? Are you okay with the trials that you're going through and, and understanding that you can be thankful in all circumstances, then you can come to him and ask him to provide that joy that you're lacking. And that in believing that God will actually give you that joy, even in the most difficult trials you're going through. Now, we should, we should pray for joy. We should also pray for a, a teachable heart. You see this in verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Now, in any trial... Having a heart that is willing to listen to God, having a, a heart that is teachable is, is so important that as we draw near to Him, that we are okay, that, that whatever His will, I mean, this is what Jesus prays in the garden, like, your will be done. Are we okay with that? And then we ask God for a teachable heart. God, show me what you're actually doing that is for my good and for your glory. You know, most of us pray for a quick deliverance, but it seems that David has been going through this trial for an awfully long time, and he's, he's saying, God, let me, let me know your heart. Let me know what, what you want for me. Unite my heart to fear your name. You know, he wants to be wholly devoted to God, and he wants to fear his name. And so often trials, people who profess faith... It, they, they do so when things are going really well, things are easy, and then when the trial comes, what they do is they, they get angry. They get angry at God that, why would you allow this to happen to me? God knows. God knows what we need. He knows what is good for us, and He knows what will bring Him the most glory. And we have to trust Him in that. We need to learn and, and trust Him. Teach me, O Lord, verse 11, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God. With my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. That's David's heart's desire is to glorify your name. That, that, that brings us to our last point. We should pray for God's glory to be made known. And we see that all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord and shall glorify your name. Verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God. With my, with my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. I mean, one of the reasons that, that God brings trials into our lives is so that when we call upon Him, and when He answers, and when He rescues us, we glorify Him. And, and I think this is true of my own life. When I look back at the most difficult situations that I've gone through, and I see God's faithfulness, it's during those times that, that God gets the most glory, those dif most difficult times. 
Because I recognize his, without, him that, without him that I would be nothing. And you know, God says in Psalm 50, verse 15, he says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You shall glorify me. And all the trials that, that we go through, we should be looking for ways in everything that we go through to glorify the Lord and so that others would be, would be drawn to him. And no matter what trial we're going through or you're going through right now, David says in verse 5 again, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. The thing that we need to learn is to call upon him. We need to learn to pray. We need to pray and, and glorify his name, that his glory would fill all the earth. And as we, we do so, we, we proclaim the good news of Christ, that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your, your grace to us. Lord, that we can call to you on the, in our day of trouble, and that you will deliver, and you will be glorified through us. God, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you as we study the Psalms this summer. Lord, that we would recognize our, our weakness and we would recognize your power. Lord, that you would be glorified, glorified through your servants. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.